Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast. I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me as always, Jacob Biding. Hello, Jacob. Hi, David. I'm not turning off my notifications right now or anything. I'm totally ready. Let's go. <laughs> totally ready. All right. Our guest today is Ben Baharin, CEO and Principal Analyst at Creative Strategies. For the past 20 years, Ben has been studying the consumer tech market and providing actionable insights and strategic recommendations to many of the top technology companies in the world. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, super excited. Now, um, typically we go into a bio a little bit, but we have so much to talk about. So you've been at Creative Strategies 20 years. Uh, people can read up on LinkedIn and other places. Um, so I wanted to dive right in. So you uh, recently wrapped up a developer sentiment survey. So a couple things. I, I wanted to just like tee it up, like why now? Why this survey? Like what, what initiated doing this and the timing of it for you to run this survey? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's there's a lot going on, you know, market-wise. We have one, we have the Epic and, uh, and Apple trial, which I followed exhaustively. Obviously, leading up to that has been probably a year or so or more of, of just sort of discussions in public forums by very vocal developers <laughs> and a range of obviously other companies, you know, Epic's not the only one, Spotify, others sort of being vocal running campaigns, trying to, you know, voice their displeasure about um, Apple. But, you know, interestingly, and I think any developers would know this, Apple actually runs their own developer survey. I believe it happens roughly annually. Um, I've seen at least the last two of those. And, you know, I was always like curious, like, I'd love to see the results of this study, you know, I mean, like, I'd love to see what Apple's seeing and, and, and how they're internalizing that data. And clearly they're not going to give us or, or others uh, access to that data set. And, and I just felt that now was a good time for us being a third party to try to look at some of these things. And, and honestly, like the range of, of opinions I'm being asked by reporters who might call me or even others, um, big companies just trying to know what, what the sentiment really is. Uh, I just thought it'd be helpful if we did, did our best to get a some type of sentiment and just kind of a pulse on developers. And um, and luckily, was able to leverage, you know, my network. You guys helped me out, and a few others to just try to get a critical mass of developers to take this study, and and we did so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, you know, one of the things I really appreciated about your survey. And now, I, I you know, disclaimer: I actually helped write some of the questions. So. <laughs> But one of the things I really liked about it was that you really asked a lot of the questions that Apple's not going to ask, you know, so we'll get into some of these like satisfaction around app review and, and some of the specifics. Um, but, but tell us a little bit about kind of your perception doing these kind of studies where, you know, teams internal to companies that are doing user research but then especially companies like Apple kind of put on some rose-tinted glasses. <laughs> like they, you know, they, they don't ask, you know, it looks bad on a survey if Apple asks something, it makes the press, right? And so there's certain questions <laughs> they're just not going to ask. But even the questions they do ask, it's like they're, they're, they have their own filter through which they're asking the questions, through which they're interpreting the questions. Have you ever been been screwed over by app review, right? <laughs> They're not going to put that in a in a survey. No, no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, I think right. What 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 we're talking about though is not you know unique to Apple. I mean, as a yeah. as a third party and by nature of what we do, because it is it's it's research driven, it's insight driven, it's very market and user experience driven. You know, I, I get sucked into a lot of these conversations from, you know, really all, all the big companies. And I, and I noticed that same thing, right? When they're looking at their product, their, they, their product managers, their revenue teams, like they have a very specific way that they're trying to get results because it's tied to their, you know, I don't want to say their bias, but it's, it's really tied to sort of the, the unique things that they're teasing out. And it's not often very holistic. I mean, I think really good companies that really try to get actionable insights from their customers will ask the kind of questions that they really maybe don't want to hear the answers to. <laughs> and, and, and arguably, they may get some of that if they speak to customers. I think, you know, obviously, you, David, and many others, right, email 
the executives at Apple and others, and, and this happens all over the all over the board at every company. So you're you're hearing customers that way, but you're not quantifying it, right? Ten developers telling me they're angry mm-hmm. may not tell me that that's some larger X percent. I might just get a note that there's some grumbling, but really how big how big is that, right? And so I think that the challenge to quantify, and often they're the way they do quantifiable data is really trying to do more roadmap revenue than it is, you know, kind of listening to customers. And and we we do a lot of that for those companies as a third party. Like my I'm trying to really understand customer sentiment and then tie that to something that's that's interesting. You know, and in this case, it's just kind of looking at and, and I approach this the same way I approach stuff I do with product research or market is I really want to know what the frustrations are. I think if we know pain points, then we can tie that to opportunities. And we, you know, this is the first time I've done this with developers on developer tools, but I took that same approach, which was let's just listen to them, see what they have to say, and uh, and just try to really understand the frustration and then hopefully quantify that, not just have three or four anecdotes that tell me, yeah, people are frustrated with these things, but we can actually justify it with, with some data. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so so tell me a little bit about the, the mix of survey respondents. I mean, obviously, if it's skewed more toward indie developers or if it's skewed more towards like people inside Epic and places like that, you know, you didn't get very different results. Um, so I imagine, you know, this understanding who took the survey is really important to kind of interpreting the results. So, so yeah, tell us a little bit about, about who took it and kind of your impression of that mix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the main point that, that people will probably first gravitate to is how many. Um, so we had 508 developers take this survey, which to me is, is more than a good enough sample because one, we're talking about a targeted audience. And when you're targeting an audience, you don't need 10,000 people. You just need a group represented. Um, you know, obviously we know within sort of Apple's data that they tend to have, you know, over 90% are small business, uh, you know, under 1 million developers. We saw that actually a pretty big percentage of our developers were less than $100,000 a year, which I think is is insightful. You know, Apple also makes the point that largely in their developer base, I think it's north of 80% um, are free apps with ads. Interestingly, to our study, we had a fairly small minority of developers yeah. making free apps with ads, which, which to me, I really liked that the collection of developers that we had, the vast majority, were trying to, to, to extract some value from their product and have people find it valuable enough to give them money, whether that was a subscription or whether that was an in-app purchase. Um, or something. I think they were they were not trying to just be ads based businesses. And I and I've always believed there was a there was a distinction between those two. You know, if I'm making yeah. an app and I'm really trying to just sell ads, I'm approaching this product very differently than if I I'm asking you for one ninety nine upfront or five dollars a month. My approach to that and, and and I think Apple Apple often likes to highlight those developers, those small indie developers who are who are having good businesses, making yeah. products, selling an app. And so I like actually that we have a vast majority of, of those types of developers who, um, who are taking our, our study. And then one point David and I talked about that was nice to quantify was just kind of understanding how many big developers uh, app or developers who are at big shops. So this, I don't, I didn't ask who, but this could be Facebook. This could be Instagram. This could be Spotify, right? Who, who, who are on the app development team. Um, but are also making apps on the side because either right. someday they want this to be their their primary business or they or it's a hobby for them. And I and I actually think that we had a really good um, mix of that. We had 54% say that they actually worked for a big company and what they were doing on the side was was their kind of hobby or aspirations to be. And I think that's why we had a lot of people who were making less than $100,000 a yeah. year because for them, this was just extra money, but it's their passion. They love making apps. and And I really... I really think that that's a highly valuable segment because that's part of Apple's narrative. If they're saying we want to empower this growth of indie development and unique apps, then make it attractive and feasible for guy for you know for for developers, guys and you know gals to leave their jobs if and make this their primary business if that's their passion and be in control of their destiny. If you're speaking my language, <laughs> that's my whole stick. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wanted uh, to f- kind of further highlight. I think I think a lot of people miss this aspect of it. Is that, and, and we've actually seen this a lot with Revenue Cat. It's like you know we'll have some side project app that's like making a grand a month or something, 
are like, oh, cool. Like, you know, and, and we, we have really great customer support and we really try and help our customers grow and like empower them. And so, you know, we're talking to all these different developers and as developer advocate, I'm the one talking to them often. And then it's like, oh, they're just a side hobby app, whatever. And it's like, oh no, they work for like Calm or they work for Tinder or whatever. <laughs> and so yeah. like this, this like, like vocal indie developer community that a lot of people kind of write off as like the crazies, the like not important, the, the not the making much tail. money, the long tail. It's like, actually a lot of them are working on like really big, important apps. Either they're actively working on them, or, but they're also just like the influencers, right? It's right. like the, the, they're on the bleeding edge. They're trying things before other people are. Like I'll make no, like it's, 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 it's not a secret that that's part of our strategy and why the long tail support on, on the revenue cast side is so important because of those, those dynamics. Right. And like that, I'm not actually sure Apple fully understands that. (laughs) (laughs) That's anecdote. Right. But I'm not sure they fully grok. Like there's not, there's some cross pollination, right. With like executive leadership at Apple and kind of like the community broadly in the ecosystem, but not as much as you might think. Right. Like maybe more in the like, Engine, there's like engineers and stuff who cross in and out of the Apple ecosystem, but they're not these decision maker types in my opinion, in my experience. Right. So, um, yeah, there's lots of like sort of non-obvious cross-pollination that goes on there. Yeah. And, and the other thing that stands out to me about that, you know, is, is Apple. And I think this was pretty clear with, um, some of the announcements they made at, at, at WWDC, you know, they are trying to get more people introduced and writing apps for for ios and you know and their platforms that's that's shown with swift playgrounds and some of the things they're trying to do and so so their best hope at a whole flurry of long tail apps is to really convert more of those developers who cut their teeth at a spotify or at google or somewhere and go and create the next great app for ios right so to make that environment appealing to them i think is is foremost for this long-term strategy yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so I did want to start diving into some of the numbers. Um, but before we do, um, I should have asked you this before, but um, so I know you're working on a, on a piece for Fast Company, but are, are you going to also release this as like a specific um, like PDF or strategy piece through Creative Strategies? Or, or sh- should people look, because uh, I mean, you know, we're going to release this uh, several days after the recording. So your, your post might be out. Where should people go if they want to follow along real time uh, to read up on it? And see the numbers. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, it'll first show up in Fast Company, but I can't, I can't really write something there that's like really analytical. It's got to be mm. a little bit more digestible for a mainstream audience. So um, you know, some of the points we'll talk about today, I'll, I'll end up getting into in that. But yeah, we're gonna do an article on. It'll be on the Creative Strategies website that has a few more charts um, and some more rich, rich data that uh, that helps shape the narrative. And I might split that up into a couple different stories, not not just one. So obviously, following me on Twitter because I keep doing threads there with it, and then it'll something more will show up on the Creative Strategies website as well. Okay, fantastic. And we'll we'll link to all that in the show notes as they get released. <laughs> we'll we'll link to them. So so the first like really high level interesting stat that came out of uh, out of this research was just overall developer satisfaction. So tell me a little bit about you know what you observed and then how that compares to, you know, what the kind of data Apple's released in the past. Yeah, obviously Apple loves this statistic, customer satisfaction. So I know I, it's not, doesn't shock me that one, they asked this question to the T to their developers to, to get a sense of, uh, of their sentiment. And we did as well. We followed the same protocol on how we asked this question. So every, everything was aligned um, in terms of, of methodology there. You know, in in the Apple Epic trial, their um, one of their counsel um, uh, legal counsel shared that 64% of developers had some level of satisfaction. Now, I want to I want to caveat this for a point because Apple likes to know and 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 often will highlight when a product has more people that select very satisfied than satisfied as a checkbox. Had a large percentage of those developers checked very satisfied, they would have called that out. So what that tells you is that yes, some had 64% had satisfaction in their study, but they were not granular at how much had very was very satisfied, and often that that will that will come up. Um, our our survey was a little bit different in terms of of overall sentiment. We had 52% have some level of satisfaction. Um, so that's anything beyond um, neither satisfied or or dissatisfied, and and 
you know, when I thought about that, I, I, you know, initially I was sort of like, okay, well, our numbers aren't the same. So, so why are they? Um, the first sort of, I think, observation is we have a little bit more of a mic skewed toward indie developers trying to make a living, making, selling their apps for money, not doing ads. I would 100% bet this, even though I haven't quantified it. If we split those two cohorts between those who write, write apps with ads and people trying to monetize, I think we would see two very different um, sentiment in terms of, of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So we have more in the trying to make a living. The other is that Apple shared that stat from 2017. This is now 2020-21 data. So we still After, had... After uh, <laughs> a few, few years of uh, brutal campaigns in the press. <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. So not only is it more modern though, but we were still over over 50%. Now, one, one also area of distinct difference um, was in Apple's, in Apple's Epic trial, they shared that uh, it was just over 20% had some level of dissatisfaction. Our number is just over 40% who had some level of dissatisfaction. So I think, again, no, knowing the cohort we're talking about, which I think we all agree is extremely valuable, is probably those that stand to, to help Apple the most in their long-term uh, goals for a thriving economic app store ecosystem. I think we've captured sentiment for that audience um, quite specifically with with our satisfaction numbers. Now, I, I, I don't know CSAT. I've never run a CSAT survey. I don't know if this is like standard um, form or whatever, but it doesn't actually strike me as all that good. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm used to, like I've run surveys with like, uh, how disappointed would you be if Revenue Cat disappeared tomorrow, right? Yeah. And you really want to look at like a really strong spike on the very disappointed, right? And then like some level, you expect some level of tail here. But uh, you you sent us the breakdowns of the data and actually looked, and it's a pretty wide distribution. Like this doesn't super. You would think at least there would be a core, and there's not none. There's like a fair few, you know, ten or ten percent or so in the very satisfied category. But it doesn't strike me. Yeah, I mean, I as Apple, I don't know if I would get up and say sixty four percent of our users are satisfied in some way, right? Uh, that that tells me whatever the the inverse of that are not, and that doesn't sound like a very small number. <laughs> Right. One out of every three customers leaving your store is dissatisfied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, though, I mean, this is not what a normal Apple customer satisfaction chart would look like for a product, <laughs> right. for Mac, for AirPods, for Air, I mean, well, you name it for iPhone, it would not look like this. So that, that's why I, I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this. I mean, I think we were all kind of publicly dancing around the idea that it might you know, skew very different than a vast majority of other of other Apple products out there, uh, which was one of the reasons I wanted to look at it. But I also think to, you know, the broader conversation we're having is that this is a very, this is arguably as important of a group for Apple if they want to keep their advantage with a rich, robust um, app ecosystem to make sure that this is changing, that they are seeing more and more people that iOS developers or just Apple platform developers fall more into the satisfied category, especially amongst this cohort we're talking about, who I think is kind of the backbone of a thriving iOS and, and Apple app ecosystem. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's interesting that you you pose it as a product, right? And does Apple actually think of what the service they provide to developers or the partnership or however you want to categorize it? Do they think of it as a product, right? Because like, if they put this up against AirPods and against the Mac and against the iPod, iPad and they like judge them fairly, somebody would be like, Hey, what, you know, whoever's in charge of this division, like, what are you doing? Right. Um, obviously it's a, you know, maybe the, the end result is good. Customer end user satisfaction might be high, but if develop, like I agree, like if the developer satisfaction is low, like you're just, you know, brewing a problem for someday, right? Like that's going to eventually. And then, and then second point there that I was thinking about is, um, you know, when you think about competitive pressures, right? Like if Apple's not, Apple's subject to a lot of competitive pressures, I would say, on the consumer goods they sell. Like, there's there there are other alternatives and whatever, and it keeps them. But they're not. There are other alternatives in most of their categories, but they're not doing well. And it's because people really freaking like iPads and they really really like iPhones, right? That's not the case necessarily for the developer tool. And so when you combine that with the fact that well, there's not really another game in town, but like people are still stuck with this. It starts to paint a pretty damning picture as far as like how really competitive is this story about like you know consu- or developer choice like as a consumer of developer tools. So if I were Apple, yeah, I'd 
this wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't be paying attention. Yeah, to to that point, I did want to highlight uh, this was at the bottom of the survey, so but we can jump around. Um, I love that you asked. Um, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but basically, are you likely to keep developing for Apple's platforms? And sixty six percent said very likely, and a total of eighty six percent were either likely or very likely to continue developing. And and to Jacob's point, it's interesting to see that dichotomy that you have low satisfaction, but a high likelihood of continuing to develop. And so it says that there are, are there, there's, a, there's, a, there's kind of an unhealthy lock-in. People aren't happy, but they're going to keep doing it anyways. And that's not really where you want to be. And, you know, developers, right. and I think you made this point, and, and I'd love for you to expand on it, is that there is risk to Apple. You're, right now, I mean, let's be blunt. I, what keeps developers building on Apple's platforms is money. It's where the most users are who are the most willing to spend money. If that changes, if Android becomes a better place to monetize, if a a VR headset or a new AR platform, or if Windows or, you know, if somebody else gets their game together just a little bit better where where there's money to be made, Apple risks losing some of these. Now, now, second to that, I really should point out, a lot of us develop for the platform because we use it and like it. Like, I, I, mm. I want to build iPhone apps because I use an iPhone. So there's there's lock-in there where, like, customer satisfaction... Brand loyalty, basically. ...breeds right? that kind of brand loyalty. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this likely to continue, and especially in contrast to the 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 clear kind of dissatisfaction. Yeah, yeah. So I, I threw that question in because it's one question of many that we throw in when we do product research around stickiness and loyalty. Generally, you would reason that if you have high satisfaction, your likeliness is also very high. And across lots of Apple products and other products, we see that follow up, right? People who are generally overwhelmingly satisfied come back and say, I'm overwhelmingly willing to keep buying or using services of this company again. So it was interesting to have that sort of breakdown because to me, what that says is, is, is range, a couple of things that I think are really important and really important for Apple to understand is one, their developers aren't going anywhere, but that should not give them just a quid pro quo. Let's just keep things how they are because they're not going anywhere. If anything, that should increase them their desire to say, because this loyal group is sticking with us and continuing to bet on us, we want to continue to make their journey, their business and their process um, appealing and desirable for the point you made, which is what happens if the next platform, let's just say Facebook gets their crap together and Oculus is the next VR and AR platform, and it's super attractive tools and it's super attractive money because all the users go there, will they all stay with Apple? You know, I mean, I think that's the 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 interesting question to get into. And so that that likeliness to me, I think, you know, again, I wasn't shocked. I don't, you, you, you were, none of us were shocked that you would have right. such high stickiness. But I do think that that should tell Apple, you know, like, look, they're they're loyal despite, you know, their grumblings. Like that, we should be more incentivized to fix that, in my opinion, in order to keep this group rich, fiber, fiber and thriving in the future. Because as as my friend Horace Daydu from Asimco has always said, you know, Apple is blessed by their developers. Like it is arguably this one of the single things that keep everything about their mechanism running high in terms of the prices they can charge, the stickiness, the loyalty that they get, et cetera. It would not be the same if there was a vanilla only handful of, of a few hundred apps. And it, it just incentivizes them to move this balance to make sure that they are doing everything they can to cater to, bend over backwards for this development community because it will be the backbone that helps them win on any future platforms going forward. Yeah. Quick, quick aside, Jacob, it's, it's kind of fun having this conversation early in our revenue cat journey to think about like all the platforms coming up. <laughs> no, 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 no. Thinking about developer satisfaction. Like right oh, now yeah. we have high developer satisfaction and people love our product, uh, but that's easy to erode. I think, you know, to your yeah. point earlier, Ben, like Apple's 2017 numbers looked a lot different than 2021. And it, it's easy to take a lot of goodwill and momentum and squander it with hostile policies and other things that we'll just, you know, we'll go through the survey and talk about some of the specifics that people are frustrated by. But yeah, it's easy to squander that. So um, I'm thinking about that, not just for Apple, but for us as well. 
it's I I I this is like a somewhat spaced away analogy, but I do think about there's in in like the Mac as a developer tool, like the Mac as like, hey, it's got Linux, hey, it's got you know, or hey, it's got a Unix shell, hey, it's like, and outside of like you're developing for iOS and it, like if you're for developing for iOS, yeah, you have to use Mac. It's 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 a done deal. But for other platforms, for a long time, the Mac was the like platform of choice because it was a Unix subsystem and all this stuff. And for folks that aren't developing for mobile, I've seen a lot of folks jump back to Windows computers because like yep. Microsoft's been pushing really hard. Like developers do, they have brand loyalty and they do like, they, they, they do think about these things, but they are ready to jump. Like when the, the wind shifts and the balance changes, they will jump. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Apple's got quite a lead here and it's going to take a while. Speaking of Oculus, I was, I was daydreaming about Oculus just while you're talking about it because, like, if you use it, it's a pretty interesting and mature platform. The Quest is a very interesting device, and you could see that evolving into an AR phone platform or something like that. And if, if Facebook iterates on this for a few more years, like, you, you could see it being a real challenger. And the question is, is like, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't doubt Apple's ability to meet that challenge, but you know, they might want to start, you know, thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> So the next section on the survey that I thought was really interesting, um, you asked a, in kind of a grid, like your satisfaction for different um, tools. And one of the more fascinating things, and so I'm going to list these in order. I, I, I kind of broke it down with, um, I, I should have shared this with you, Ben, so we could be looking at the same thing. But I broke down all the somewhat satisfied, satisfied, very satisfied as kind of like general satisfaction. And then the somewhat dissatisfied dissatisfied and, and very dissatisfied as, as kind of overall dissatisfied. And then I just added those up and sorted them. And so then the, the top like highest level satisfaction were Swift, UIKit, Xcode, TestFlight, and Swift UI in that order, which I think bodes pretty well for Apple that like, um, you know, they, they've the core technologies, this, right? Yeah. They've done this big push with Swift Xcode, I was actually really surprised That's as much as a I hear. big change, right? When I remember when Xcode 4 first came out, like it was the bane of every developer's existence. And for a few years there, like nobody liked Xcode. It, I have my, my number one retweeted tweet of all time is something about Xcode and me grinding my teeth at night. Like, <laughs> like it is, it is a real, it used to be a real pain and like it has gotten a lot better. And like I was going to mention this, it's like there's almost two, well, and we'll, we'll get, Actually, David, finish. T- tell us the worst ones, and then I'll it'll make okay. my point stronger. <laughs> All right. So, in order of the the most dissatisfied, people are most dissatisfied with App Review. Second most dissatisfied with App Store Connect, with uh, the submission process, with code signing, and with StoreKit. So, those were the the most dissatisfied. So, what's your point, Jacob? Well, my yeah, my point was is like there's almost like two categories of technology that Apple puts out for developers. There's the core tools, there's UI kit, there's all the stuff. We, most of the stuff we saw at dub dub the other week uh, about like n- new, new ways to build apps and new, new cool new things. And that's why, you know, this, they have this loyal set of developers and why developers want to build apps for the iPhone because it it's a great platform. Like I've used, I've built apps on iOS. I've built React Native apps or React Native. I've built React apps. I've built on lots of different UI platforms on Android and everywhere. Uh, UI Kit with Swift or Objective C or whatever is still, in my opinion, the like most developer friendly, ergonomic, sensible, zippy developer platform. I've tried a lot and like still is my favorite. Um, obviously, it's one I've got the most experience in. I'm smoothest in, but like. <laughs> Apple just puts a ton of love and there's an amazing group of engineers working on this constantly on so many aspects of it. It's really smooth. Swift is like, Swift is such, when you think about backup where Swift was five years ago, where it is now and the amount of investment that's put into it, it's really like kind of, it's pretty amazing. Uh, And such an advantage for Apple that they have, I think one of the most widely, I, I don't know, of the like neo languages of the like this like last generation of languages, I think Kotlin on the Android side and other stuff, I think Swift is probably that was the pr- pioneer. Well, I might be wrong there, but certainly in my world, it seems like the one everybody talks about, right? And kind of sets the standard. But then you have on the other side of this, you have all this other stuff like App Store Connect and StoreKit and all of these like commerce and business related and monetization. I think, um, ben, back to your point about ads 
your hypothesis that maybe ads-driven apps aren't as dissatisfied is because they don't have to deal with any of this stuff, really. Maybe they have to deal with submission and stuff like that, but they're not as like deeply integrated with Apple as a business partner. And that's where things start to start to break down. And there, there's that disconnect. That I, I think I was joking with, I, I, this might've been on the podcast, if it was in a meeting or somewhere, I was saying it's like, it's like when people with the, do spreadsheets get involved with Apple stuff, like it gets bad, right? Like <laughs> when, when developers are driving things, uh, it feels like that's where the, the most genius is, is created. And then when the business part comes in, it's like, it just gets a little like less enjoyable it, it, from this one developer's perspective. Yeah. So, so Jacob and I obviously have a lot of thoughts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, man. You brought the data. No, it's okay. It's good. <laughs> Um, I mean, we, you know, we are, you know, we're very invested in this, obviously, with Revenue Cat, but we talked to a ton of developers. We've been building apps ourselves for years. I mean, Jacob and I both had apps on the App Store in like 2008. So we've been around this for a long time. So obviously have a lot of thoughts, but we'd love to hear kind of your third party, less uh, skin in the game, <laughs> disinterested. Like, how did this section strike you? Um, yeah, so there was a couple things. I, I think the ones that that you mentioned that um, had pretty high satisfaction didn't didn't surprise me either. I I was we I, did, I talked to a range of developers prior to this, just sort of did some interviews, and and I think I was beginning to pick up on the frustrations around app review, submission process, communication back and forth when there's an issue. So I think I I had heard that, and then we quantified it. So it being negative. Um, what wasn't shocking. What's actually most surprising to me is how little used some of the future forward kits from Apple are, like AR kit, That's a great point. Um, even metal, you know, theory kit. I mean, we're tracking here at like AR kits got 70% said they don't use it. Um, for metal, 70% said they don't use it. For even core ML, um, 70% don't, don't use that. Theory kit, 64%. So the, these are, again, if we extract ourselves toward the most interesting things Apple's talking about, some of the most interesting things they are building silicon for are around yeah. ARs, around future imaging, is around machine learning. And most developers haven't adopted that yet. And I think that, right. again, a bit of a strategic challenge because one, I think Apple needs to get more of these things we're struggling with, right? App review, submission process. A lot of that stuff's got to get cleaned up if they want them to develop these more complex, more future forward apps going forward because that's, I think, a, a structural part of trying to transition your base to your future tools, not just have them be set in the ways that their their workflows now, either because they're comfortable with them or because they run out of they run into less issues doing the things that they do. And as you know, I'm sure everybody you know can understand your development time time to go from creating to you know in the market to making money is precious. You know, like that's yeah. you can't hang on that. And so how much are you going to experiment with these other things if you're just going to run into a complex web of issues and fight different fires that you're not used to before because either you don't have the same support person or you're getting different answers from different people within Apple and you can't actually get your app reviewed or you have to fundamentally change something because you didn't know you couldn't actually do what you were trying to do. So I, I think the confidence in fixing some of these things we're talking about will help Apple get more of these products, more of their core tools in use. But I, I, I mean, given how much Apple talks about these things, even though we don't see a ton of AR apps, I was just surprised that that many people just don't use them at all. Yeah, I, I th the AR kit is an interesting case because I, I, I've always felt, and I don't know if this is obvious in the like, like, uh, like truth seeing world of Apple um, stuff, but it, I, I imagine they're developing hardware, right? They're going to have a, a, a glasses kit or they're going to have some piece of hardware. And this is like preview essentially to like develop technology and whatnot. But you can very easily see a world where Apple and, and Google, or sorry, Apple and Facebook both enter the AR market strongly at the same time. And if developer, like Apple won't have that advantage of the built-in like huge user base, right? Or the built-in whatever. And that's that's a situation where, okay, suddenly if Facebook even has like a tiny foothold of advantage, right? They can compound that, right? They can get, get developers being like, oh yeah, I was going to build it for the AR, Apple's AR glasses. But like, honestly, it's easier on Quest or it's easier on Facebook's platform. And like, we'll just do that. And then it's hard to catch up, right? Like it's hard to, it's hard to, if, once, the, once, the, once the wind changes, you know, that, that can, that can be it for them. And like, I think some of the like metal metals, like an interesting technology because you, unless you're like doing graphics development, it's not really right. something you would use directly. Right. Developers are using it because UI kit is 
presumably using it under the hood, which which makes sense to me. I've always <laughs> I, anecdotally the AR kit demos like always just bore the heck out of me. On the, <laughs> I'm always just like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's a fire truck on a table, whatever. Like, who cares? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but somebody's very proud of them, I think. <laughs> I did want to jump back to kind of what you were saying about some of these process issues and app review and other stuff's kind of standing in the way of adoption. And there were, there were a few questions. I, I was probably the one who, who came up with them and added them to your list because I've always wanted to know this. But the answers you got back, although intuitively, and I've assumed this was true, seeing the hard numbers was striking. So I'm going to rattle off a few and then we can kind of discuss it. But um, 60% of respondents have abandoned an app idea for fear of app review. So I, that wasn't your exact wording. I should I should have probably taken my notes with your exact wording. So then, so go back and look at the at the survey that Ben's going to release. Uh, you know, he'll release the exact wording and stuff. But sixty percent of people, you know, were concerned at some level that their app idea would not be approved, so they abandoned it. Sixty percent have held back features because they were worried Apple might not approve it. Sixty-two percent said that they would use a pre-approval process to stop or I, I put it in my own wording, I forget exactly how you worded it, but to, to not waste time on development. Like that, that's how I think of it. It's like when I come up with this inv- innovative feature and I think, oh, dang it, like Apple's probably going to reject that. Like I don't want to waste my summer building this great new feature on this great new widget kit or whatever they announce only to get rejected. And so some of these like forward thinking, these forward looking um, uh, AR kit and Siri kit and other things, some of that lack of adoption is due to this like fear of, of rejection and concern about app review. And then 69% said Apple is limiting innovation with app store policies. That, that was really one of the most striking things out, out of this whole survey for me, uh, partly because it aligns with what I've been bitching and moaning about on Twitter for like 13 years. Um, but it's striking that, that you, and, and again, to kind of put in the broader context, you know, you have developers who are very likely to stick around, but are relatively dissatisfied. And 70% of them say you're limiting innovation with your policies. Um, and, and that goes deeper too, not just app review. And we'll talk about, you know, the app store fees. That's part of the policy that, that the respondents are talking about. But 70% say Apple is limiting innovation. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've given my take, obviously. But <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on, on that, those, that kind of line of questions and, 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 and the overall sentiment around app review and kind of app store policy? Yeah, I, I think the clear you know, story here lines up with what, you know, I made the point tool wise, which is that, you know, people aren't really getting out of their box. And I think they're not getting out of their box because they're just, you know, they're, they're comfortable with the process, the friction that they'll hit with Apple that they might inevitably hit. They're just, they know what it is. Right. And so you're more, you're more apt to go and take on the battle that you're familiar with than the one that you're unfamiliar with, you know, and, and again, when, when, when time is money, and you need to get stuff out the door because you're trying to make a living with your family. You just don't have as much time to experiment with things. And 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 I think these are important points to connect because again, Apple benefits from developers moving outside their boxes and creating things that have never been possible before, and creating the kind of apps that drive consumer awareness and excitement that they go tell all their friends about that you can only get on the iPhone. And and that's to me where. I, you know, when I saw that, I, I was looking at this thing like that's that's not a place you want to be in. You know, if if we're quantifying this with a with an audience that is willing, you know, to not just fit in a box. I, I mean, I, I again, right? If we just look at the ad, the free to ads, like I, I have no beef with those businesses, but to be honest with you, they are rarely very good experiences. You know, when when a business is trying to suck you into time in order to inundate you with ads they're really trying to engage with you in a very different way that that I just don't you know I've rarely found leads to a extremely valuable and positive customer experience the the apps that I'm willing to pay for are almost generally always better experiences and yield better better user experiences so if the retort from you know Apple is well you know you're you're just talking about this side I was like well we're talking about the most important side the most important side that will move your platform forward and create experiences that can't be done on other platforms, if they're afraid to do that, then this is a real problem. 
And if they're unwilling to do some of these things because you're either too harsh or it takes them too much time and you've set them back 30 days and they need to put food on the table next month, they're just going to stick with what they know. And, and that, that I think is something that, you know, needs to be solved because you don't want, you don't want developers sitting there. Well, I'm just going to do what I keep doing because I don't want to shake the boat. And, um, you know, I might have this great idea, but I just don't have the opportunity to go and do it. And, uh, and then that impact, you know, like they said, innovation. So I, I think those two dots are really interesting to connect. And to me, it's a little bit of a red flag that I would definitely, you know, push in on if I was Apple to say, what, what, you know, how can we make, how can we make it so that you are free to experiment, get outside your box, really innovate and push the envelope and what can be done with software because we're trying to give you the sil- the silicon to go and do things no one's been able to do before, but we don't want you to just stay, you know, in this box. But I think the reality is we're seeing a picture of developers who are kind of just sticking with what they know for, again, fear of, of the friction of the app process, app review, getting it rejected. And, and, and really, this is losing time and money. I mean, I think these are the two things that this is clearly saying is that if I do these things, I'm probably going to lose time and money and I don't have time and money to lose. Also, just the motivation, time, money, and motivation. Gosh, there's nothing worse than like putting your heart into something and thinking you were thinking you were gonna make Steve happy, you know, like (laughs) Apple, and then they say like, no, actually, you didn't do it. And and I I I get we get questions inbound all the time when when folks get it's specifically around in our purchases, but when people get close to the limit, right? When they want to try to do something a little bit different, we're seeing it right now a lot of times with anything creator-based, which is, these are platforms blowing up. Like people like, you know, OnlyFans is a weird example, but like there are lots of these in many different genres, examples of connecting creators with consumers and the app store totally misses on this right now. Like to, to, to incentivize that model, you can do it outside of the app stores 30%, but you have to, um, you can't take any, you can't take any off the top as the facilitator, right? Which is fine, I guess, if that's Apple's game they want to play, but that just means they're not going to, it's less likely you're going to have this kind of content. And like Cameo is really cool, right? Like Cameo is a really cool app because you can get celebrities. And it's, and it's an app experience that's fully on Apple's platform. You download, you buy a phone, you open it, there's an app in there that'll let some random C list celebrity wish your mom a happy <laughs> birthday. And like they're actively disincentivizing those sorts of experiences. And I always warn people, like when people come to me and say like, Hey, I'm thinking about this thing that's weird or whatever. I'm just like, don't do it. Like I, that's my advice. Like you can try it, but my professional advice would be, don't do it. (laughs) Add a monthly subscription, a yearly subscription, price them however you want, package them, make your paywall look like this. Just copy somebody else because the it's, you're saying that that loss of time and and ultimately money, it just the ROI is the risk is not there. The upside is not there for it. And and yeah, you've noticed, I don't know if you look at all the subscription apps in the app store, they all kind of look very similar, right? Different content, but all the go-to-market stuff looks the same, which is fine. I guess it's good for maybe a consumer experience, but like it probably means we're not innovating. It probably means we're under-optimizing. There's probably like all sorts of things we don't even understand we're missing because of I it's it's really clear here in the data why like people are just afraid you know mm-hmm. quick anecdote i haven't shared this publicly yet i've told jacob a little bit but um last fall home screen customization was like booming widget smith which actually uses revenue cat um we've talked to david on the podcast that whole thing was booming and, and launch in a pro we had actually worked on home screen customization stuff a year before this boom so we already had everything ready to go you know, and I've been working this space forever, the home screen stuff. And, and we'd looked at all different ways to do home screen um, customization and um, mobile device management profiles were one way to do that. And so we were super nervous for like, I don't know, it was like a 30 day cycle building this, but the developer I work with, I mean, he busted it like nights and weekends and, and, and we released this home screen customization feature with the profiles. It got through app review, got some press attention. It was on TechCrunch and The Verge. People loved it. It was an easy way to customize your home screen. And it did really well. Like, you know, it's our best month in years. And then as we started, like, toying with it a little more, things started breaking. So, like, iOS 14.3 changed some things. And then iOS 14.5, Apple intentionally completely broke that feature. 
So this this thing that was like we were riding high and like, you know, the value of the app, the um, number of subscriptions that were coming in, it was great. And then soul crushing to have this really cool feature that you want to keep building on. And early in, you know, January, we started getting these 14 iOS 14.5 betas where it was just broken. And we were trying to get in touch with Apple. And this goes to like the communication thing. It's like really hard to get any kind of answer. Like, is this intentional? Did you accidentally break it? Is it going to get fixed in a future update? And they just, you know, crushed this new feature. Now I have to go to users and say, hey, this broke. You paid for it to do this, but we can't do that anymore. And like Apple does this kind of stuff all the time. And then, so even- You can just give them a refund, David. No, you yeah. can't. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Even if it gets through app review, you're not getting it guaranteed it's going to get through app review the next time. And then even if it gets through app review the next time, you're not guaranteed it's going to stick around. And so... And it's because you were at the fringe, right? Like if you had done something that was like very clearly safe. mainstream, they wouldn't have messed with you because like there are... And this is... I'm probably breaking an NDA I signed a decade ago, but there's like <laughs> when I was there, there were teams internally that were actually testing new betas on third-party apps. I'm sure that's only expanded, right? Uh, but obviously it's like they're only going to get the median, right? 95% of apps, right? And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly this this case here, right? Yeah. So anyways, it... it, it yeah. I, I think more people have experienced that and more people are fearful of of these kind of things that that the fringes don't get played in. And, and to your point, it's like Apple benefits when people play in the fringes, but then their policies actively discourage people playing in the fringes. And it, yeah. it's wasted millions of developer hours. It's wasted probably hundreds of millions of dollars over the last 13 years of things that get rejected, things that get released and then broken, things that get pulled from the app store. Things that never get made, you know, that never leave the whiteboard, yeah. right? Exactly. Well, we yep. uh, don't have a ton of time left. I did. I did want to jump into th- this. Was another area and 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 really interesting to us at Revenue Cat. You asked a question: How much should Apple charge? Um, so tell me about the results and kind of the sentiment around the thirty percent. Obviously, huge uh, topic around Epic and just in the press. Developers have been complaining about the thirty percent. Tell me about the results and then kind of your view of of what this means for Apple and and for developers. Yeah, I, you know, and I think it's worth noting that the vast majority of our developers taking the survey fall into the fall bit, the small business program. So not many of them are are giving Apple the thirty percent. Um, but even within that, we basically saw a pretty healthy segment that was between five and fifteen percent, with thirty seven percent. If we round up thirty six percent, it was just or thirty eight percent, it was just over thirty seven point five, saying ten percent being the sweet spot and only um, 18% saying they thought 15% was the right amount of commission. So again, where the vast majority of them are probably get at is 15%, only 18% said that's where they, um, that's what they thought was fair. And, uh, and 22 or 23% just ra- rounding up because of the median is said uh, 5% is right. So you're right in five to 15% as what the vast majority of our, of our studies said is fair. Um, only six percent said thirty percent is fair, and 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 I and and I and I wanted to ask this. I didn't. David and I have talked about this for a long time about just you know w- what revenues should move to. I, I wanted to ask this primarily because I, I was quite interested in the way that Apple promoted their thirty percent commission as a part of the Epic trial because in their minds they they very clearly believe. And this is their this is their external posture toward why IAP needs to remain as the way in which they uh, handle purchases and collect their position is that they they believe their value is twofold. They have IP in the tools, which we asked satisfaction on. So we've now had a good look at what people think about their IP, and two, their marketplace. Their value is also connecting you to customers. So those two things, giving you the tools, which is their IP, they want to connect and invest, they, a recoup a return on that IP on that investment. So that's part of this percent. And then they connect you to, they connect buyers to sellers. So that to them is worth 30% or 15%. Now our audience essentially basically said, no, that's not worth 30%, despite what you believe. And vast majority have said even 15% is not worth the value that you provide to me in one, the IP that I'm using, despite the satisfaction we had on those tools, the IP that I'm using, and two, 
that you are as part of this marketplace connecting me to a buyer. And so I'm not outside of you know ignorance to say like, oh, well, they're just taking for granted all of these things and Apple does all this work. And it's true, right? I mean, most of the developers do rely very heavily on Apple to connect them to buyers. And the reason that they you know, that they made that sale or had that conversion was, was probably because of, of IAP. So I, you know, I could see, you know, a point of, well, you know, I just, of course I want more, of course I want more. And yeah. am I really appreciating all that Apple's doing? I think that's a fair point in discussion, but at the same time, marketplaces that, and tools that are so profoundly life-changing for you, you, you know, you don't generally sort of come back and, 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 and poop on those, right. Or say like, no, I don't appreciate those. <laughs> yeah. You say, you say it's worth it at twice the price, right. If it's yeah, something exactly. truly like fantastic, it, right. Exactly. You're like, I would pay way more for this and, and think about it. How many times have we used, I think, I think we did, we did a, a real study that I'll be publishing about a big study on AirPods pro. And to be entirely honest with you, I was, we asked this question and I thought it was a throwaway. I was like, there's no way people answer this the way they do. And I said, would you have been willing to pay more for your AirPods Pro? And I forget the stat off my head, but a pretty significant chunk were like, yes. So you just paid <laughs> north of 200 bucks for a product and were like, it's so great. I would have paid more. I feel like that should exist here, you know, because we are talking about a, a, a giant economy that is the reason Apple is thriving like as a backbone. And they're not sort of leaping out of their shoes to say, man, I, I mean, what you do is so valuable one, I couldn't live without it, which you know is generally the case despite the cut. But I'm comfortable with what you're taking because it's more than fair. And that's not the sentiment that we see. David and I were talking about this earlier. Like it almost feels like Apple needs to go on offensive PR here. And just like cause because I think developers think like, oh, like I, I could just put Stripe in or Apple Pay or whatever and uh, yeah, I do it myself. I get 5% fee. I think I, I just looked up paddle while we were talking here. It's like 5% plus 50 cents per transaction or something, like a lot less, right? But Paddle excluded. There's there's things like taxation and and compliance and um, not even outside of the distribution side of it. Which like I think different customers, Apple brings the, the the Apple connecting them with the consumer is of different truth depending on like what stage you are of a company, right? At some <laughs> at some scale, like you're kind of driving it yourself. But I almost wonder Apple would go a long way if they just were telling developers more of like, hey, like this is what we're doing for you. Like this is this is rather than. You know, at WDC, they always just get on stage and say, this much money made by four developers, right? <laughs> and it's like, cool, but, you know, you all got a third of that. And and what did what did we get out of it, right? Um, and that might actually go a long way. I was talking to David, too, just about, I, I don't know where I come down. Is 30% enough? Is it not enough? I don't know. I wish we had a liquid market because then it would just sort itself out, right? Like people would just, the price would set itself to the value and, and people would go where they need to go, but we don't have a liquid market. And that's, I guess, the whole crux of all these cases and everything. Um, but I kind of do feel like developers are just, yeah, of course, they're going to say. And at 5%, you probably pull them again and they'd be like, I'd rather pay 2%, right? Because <laughs> yep. their expectations are set. So I don't really know. Like, I don't have a strong feeling. Like, sure, 15% would be great, but like, are we just going to be in the same bucket? Like if all these satisfaction things are as bad as they are at 15%, is that going to make people any happier? Right. And I'm just not sure. I've thought a lot about this. I mean, if you're, if you're a developer that the mainstream customer has no idea about, like you are not going to go to their website and make a purchase. I mean, the reality is that IAP for most developers is the single reason that they're seeing any conversion whatsoever. Now, this is also why I understand where Spotify or Netflix are coming from because they have this giant company and a big brand and they're out there investing massively in ways and they're acquiring customers on their own, right? The app store is the means that they go get what they want, which is Netflix, not the means in which they discover Netflix for the first time and make a purchase. So I totally understand that breakdown. And 100%, I think Apple's got to wrestle with the two realities here, which is some people they live and die. Like they will not have a business if there wasn't for App Store and IAP. And there's others who can. And I and I think you need to recognize those two differences. But I mean, I, I think in often cases, you know, developers do I think over overestimate their ability to make a transaction on the merit of the screenshots that I see, their icon or whatever it is they're selling to me, and don't realize that if. IAP didn't exist and that was Stripe or go to my website and you give the options that that Epic's asking for, I would strongly doubt that they would have a business whatsoever. So I do think those two things exist. I, I mean, I personally think 
David and I have talked about. I think 10% one is fair. It would align with the market standards for referral transactions and IP licensing. Both of those are generally under a 10% model. You know, you could argue 10 to 15% is right-ish if you combine those two things, which they are. But the reality is I think it's 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 somewhere in that range. And honestly, moving from 30 to 15% and then 15 to 10% really is a small dip in the bucket for Apple financially. Like there's there would be more win. And the thing that that we were talking about, the thing's most interesting is that if you got if you moved it to 10% universally, obviously all your developers would be happy, right? Because now they're going to make more money. That's not the end of the story. I think what we're saying around app review process and submission and knowing what they can do and not do and support, clearly that's all got to change. But but if you could get Amazon and Spotify and Netflix and all these big companies back into IAP who are not there at a 10% commission because they believe again they'll generate more transactions. That's money Apple never would have had it into. Yeah. So they would actually increase despite taking less right in the overall total pie percentage. If they get more people back on that store or more companies doing interesting things, generating transactions because they're willing to do it through the app store, not outside of it, you could argue that they might actually make more money than they are right now just you know taking those cuts. So I, I think there's a lot of wins to do that. I think you can make a really strong case that that 10% would be, would be Huge. And and not only that, to be honest with you, I mean, if you're Apple and I'm strategically thinking arts art of war, right? Let me draw my competitors into a place that will damage them. Dropping the cost of that, like if Xbox or PlayStation can't take as much money anymore, which and they're subsidized or break even hardware business models, man, I mean, yeah. they're they're in a hard boat, right? So strategically, Apple doesn't need it. Like, they don't even need that 30% to still be a behemoth. And they could fundamentally impact their competitors in a negative way. There's just a lot of a lot of wins there that I think make sense. But like I said, they've got to fix the app store process and some of those as well. Because again, on top of that, you want people doing things that that create more transactional value, getting outside that box. Because then again, they're gonna everybody's gonna make more money in that. Yeah, and one of the things you didn't bring up as well is just is is the apps that just don't work at thirty percent all of a sudden magically work yeah. without Apple having to do special cases and negotiate special rates with individuals. So like consumers the Kindle, don't notice ten percent, right? Like you yeah. can probably tack ten percent on a Kindle book, and a consumer's not going to like yeah. flinch as much as if 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 it's thirty, right? But even if they didn't, you know, ten percent is probably closing in on where it makes sense for Amazon to just go ahead and do in-app purchase in the Kindle app, and that is such a terrible user experience for Apple's customers. That Awful. They, it, yeah, it's just terrible that you go to the Amazon app on your phone and then it bounces you. To, I, it, this happens to me all the time when I'm like trying to save a book to a, a list, you know, so I can get back to it later when I see somebody recommend a book on Twitter and I'm bouncing back and forth between the app and, and the website. And it's just just a mess. But there were a, a, a couple of things in there that I thought were really, really good um, beyond the like potential like financial ramifications. One is like I've thought for years that Apple should do Apple TV Pro as like a gaming console level. So you're right in that like let's say they are moving toward that strategy. They have the developers, they have a ton of games, they have the technologies. You know, all the big um, gaming engines work on iOS. You know, Apple becoming a a sort of console platform would be even more enabled by a 10% cut. Um, but on the flip side, I, and I'd love to get your take on this super quick, but I was telling Jacob uh, in one of our conversations about all this is, what if Apple did left it 30% for games and then 10% for everything else, all apps? Because 30% is the like kind of industry standard for gaming. And, and almost all games are zero marginal cost. Um, but then apps are, is where it does get really sticky, like 10%. I mean, thirty percent on a one on you know fitness classes, thirty percent on you know so many things. It's it, it, it's just a lot, and then so many apps do have marginal costs that just can't operate at thirty percent. So, do you think there's any any room for them to actually bifurcate the um, commission between apps and games? I, I mean, I think if if we had to make a case that any segment would be more willing to bite that off. I mean, I think it would be gaming. But I think to the point that we made, if Apple really wanted to woo AAA games, and I and I think that at some point they would like the Mac to fall into this category as well, 
that if you drop that price, and you will see a flood of traditional gaming developers all of a sudden realize that they could make a lot of money on this platform that they can't make on Xbox, on Steam, on PlayStation, uh, even on Switch, right? Which in the Switch platform is arguably even more restrictive than Apple's. And so you you could see some really, really interesting stuff if they drop that. You know, and again, like I said, if, if they needed the money, David, then I'd go, yeah, you know, I mean, like it makes <laughs> sense, right? But this is, you're, you're talking like a, a shift. I think the estimate right now is it's around 15 billion a year in commission. I mean, again, this is, you know, they have small BUs that make more than that every year selling small amounts of hardware, not not doing, you know, millions upon millions of transactions. If that goes down to 10, per, you know, to $10 billion, like that's not, it's Apple, that's nothing, right? But the strategic wins in getting more people commercing on that platform at a rate that they're acceptable with, I mean, the impact for that is overwhelmingly positive. And, and I mean, if they just get more game development, like unique iOS only exclusives or Mac only, and these are AAA titles, things that could never be done before. I mean, that would that could change the whole landscape of this product from a, a gaming and entertainment standpoint. Because honestly, like most of the games on there are pretty, I'm not gonna say terrible. They're just, they're not, they're not great. I mean, and I'm a, I'm a PC gamer. So like for me, <laughs> yeah. this is a very, very different world. You could imagine if that, as compelling could come to something like Mac or iOS and a 10% would look super attractive outside all those other platforms who are at 30% uh, across the board as well. You know, one thing Apple, I don't think talks enough about too, is the, is the consumer experience around platform billing is that like, I want to subscribe to as many things as I possibly can on the app store because I know where to go to cancel subscriptions I don't have to contact the developer. I don't have to jump through hoops to cancel. I don't have to go, you know, study my credit card statement to figure out what I'm paying for. They bring so much value to consumers with the platform billing. And by dropping that fee, they can I- expand that even further. And, and, and I think there's just, there's a big story in like the consumer side of this that consumers they convert more easily. They, you know, they like, you know, you don't want to go into your credit card and have that direct relationship because you know, it's going to be hard to cancel. There's some real, real questionable apps I've bought that I would no way ever buy. (laughs) Right. If they weren't IAP. Yeah. The last point I'd, I'd make on this too, is I think, you know, the Amazon point is a good one, right? Amazon wants to own right their customer. But if they believed that, you know, Apple or IAP, you know, or others, I mean, obviously there's no guarantee if you drop 10%, you get Amazon back or Netflix, right? They might right. just be so like, look, whatever we want to use ourselves. But but the reality is that Apple's more sticky if they do what you're saying and transact everything through IAP, because now my whole digital life in terms of commerce there is wrapped up around Apple. Like I'm not leaving. Like I'm not going somewhere else. Yeah. You know, the more that Apple loses that, the easier it is for me to switch platforms and then just download Netflix and Spotify or whatever on on Android. And now all of a sudden all my stuff's there. Right. So so it actually behooves them strategically from a sticky point to make sure that more and more people are transacting on AMP. And more importantly, more these big big brand companies are doing that on IAP because it makes it harder for you, you know, to leave. Yeah, totally. Well, hey, I wish we could talk about this for another hour because <laughs> there was a lot of stuff we didn't even get to. But um, yeah, we'll point people to your your Fast Company post and and follow Ben on Twitter for these. Uh, he's going to be doing these uh, tweet threads, and then eventually, you know, he'll be posting on on Creative Strategies. But uh, as we wrap up, any anywhere else uh, folks can find you or any kind of uh, parting words? Uh, yeah, I mean the the twi- Twitter Creative Strategies is probably my easiest places um, to follow me. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the 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 point that I leave everybody with is one that we hinted at is the futures at stake here, I think, in terms of the next platforms. It's important for Apple to continue to increase developer sentiment so that developers are, I think, you know, overwhelmingly happy. I mean, a- Apple's hardware products generally see north of 60% of customers selecting very satisfied with that product. And I think Apple should set that goal of making developers to overwhelmingly check that top box of very satisfied. And I think if they do that, I would become 
almost deadlock positive they'll win the next platform. As of right now, I think it's a question mark because again, what you develop for will be the places that you have the most freedom to experiment and the easiest way to make money. And Microsoft, uh, even Epic, you know, Amazon, they're all going to fight for an augmented reality platform going forward, Google. So it's going to be a battle right off the bat and Apple's going to need their developer community to help them win. And that's why I think right now, they need to start making these changes and increase their their sentiment with developers with whatever it takes for them to go forward. Yeah, I could not agree more. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Ben. Yeah, happy to. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show and your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.